Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pelvic Matters. I'm your host, Marina Castellanos, a physical therapist in Westchester County, New York, specializing in pelvic health for women and children. If you are the parent of a child who wets the bed, has constipation or fecal incontinence, this is definitely the episode for you. Today, I'm joined by physical therapist Dawn Sandalcidi. Dawn is a trailblazer and leading expert in the field of pediatric pelvic floor disorders. She is a national and international speaker in the field, and she has learned so much from sharing experiences with her colleagues around the globe. In 2018, Dawn was awarded the Elizabeth Noble Award by the American Physical Therapy Association Section on Women's Health for providing extraordinary and exemplary service to the field of physical therapy for children. Dawn is also board certified biofeedback and pelvic muscle dysfunction. Dawn has actively been treating patients for the past 38 years and owns a private practice physical therapy specialist in Colorado. Thanks for joining me on the show, Dawn. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you don't know this, and just a little personal note here. So your class, because um, Dawn teaches class to fellow colleagues, um, your class is the first class I ever took in pelvic floor. Um, any kind of pelvic floor class I took was yours. And after taking your pediatric um, pelvic floor course, I just decided that like, this is what I want to do. I'm taking more courses, you know, and I ended up switching specialties from just regular pediatrics to, you know, full-blown pelvic health for women, you know, and children. Um, so I wanted to add that little, you know, that little tidbit in there for you. So, you know, could you give me... You're welcome, because you gave me such a great first experience, um, you know, in the world of pelvic health. I said, you know, I just need to learn more. And I always say this is a terrible comparison when you're talking about pelvic health, but like I caught the bug. Like so many of us just say like we catch the bug for pelvic health, but it's so true. Because um, after that, then I was just like going course after course after course. Um, but that's my little, that's my little story there of how I became, um, you know, partly how I became the pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, but thank you so much. Um, for joining me today. And, you know, I think with parents who have children who wet the bed, have chronic constipation, fecal incontinence, they don't even know um, really what that is in terms of pelvic floor dysfunction um, and are often told like it's just normal. So maybe we can share a little bit about, you know, what exactly pelvic floor dysfunction is. So pelvic floor dysfunction has, has a, a variety of different things that it can present as. And when we look at pediatrics, I think it, maybe we can just start with looking at the different diagnoses and how the pelvic floor is related to those. But in, in general, the pelvic floor is just not doing what it should be doing. It's not relaxing when it should relax. It's not contracting when it should contract. And um, you know, taking it down to the very basics is that when the bladder and the bowel are emptying, the pelvic floor muscles need to be completely relaxed for that to happen and for the bowel and bladder to empty completely. And when the, the muscles don't do that, then um, there can be con side effects of constipation or uh, retention of urine that we hold and, and don't empty our bladders completely. And then kids become holders and, and they don't end up peeing for more than two or three times a day because they don't relax those muscles. And then they really don't know how to relax the muscles. And they're really absolutely not aware that they're doing this. It's not a, it's not a conscious event. It's a very, you know, it's just a, if you will, just a side effect of what's been happening in their body. And, uh, and it's not like your biceps, you know, your biceps, you know where that muscle is and you know how to lift a weight and make it work. Uh, the pelvic floor is not, uh, you know, you don't, you can't see it working. 
you know, and for most adults, we can't feel it working. And so if you're a child, how do you, if you, how do you know what's happening if you can't see it or feel it? Mm-hmm. And that becomes a little bit of a, uh, a challenge that's easily overcome, but it does uh, present a challenge just to, for the children to manage it on their own. But if I start with the topic of bedwetting, and there's, um, I, f- I find it very important that we delineate why is a child bedwetting? Because there are, there are various reasons for bedwetting. So there are um, bedwetting, it is not, it, it is a myth that children are bedwetting because they sleep too deep. Mm-hmm. And I it, hear that all the time from parents. And that's, yes, we hear it all the time. And so that is not a physiological fact. Um, but let's go over the, the things that are facts. Number one, bedwetting can be a genetic problem. If a child has a parent, um, even if that parent's sibling or that parent's first cousin, uh, had bedwetting, uh, then they are genetically predisposed to be bedwetters. If it was one parent, they have a 40% chance of bedwetting. And if it was both parents, it's 77% chance. So it's very high, wow. the, um, the rate of bedwetting. And that's not when they say genetic, parents often feel bad that I, I did this to my child. I said, well, you, and I said, look at those beautiful blue eyes your child has. You gave them those too. Yeah. So it just, and it is something, and this is when parents go to pediatricians and they say, you'll grow out of it, you'll grow out of it, you'll grow out of it. Well, 15% per year of kids with a genetic predisposition to bedwetting um, will grow out of it. Mm-hmm. But the International Children's Continent Society states that it is not, it, it's not helpful for them to wait that active treatment should begin by age six. Through the fifth year of life, that's within normal limits and that's acceptable. But after age, once they turn six, that active treatment should begin. And the primary reason for that is because psychologically it gets upsetting. A lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of um, poor self-esteem. These behaviors develop because the children are bedwetting. And they have um, a lot of uh, externalizing behaviors. You know, they can get un- unruly at times. Yeah. And I've had parents say, I didn't even know my child's personality till they stopped bedwetting. Mm-hmm. Then I got to meet my child for the first time Yeah. because they've always been a bedwetter. Mm-hmm. And so, so that first diagnosis is the is the uh, genetic. And that genetic diagnosis means, when I say genetic, it means that their body is not producing a hormone. So when you and I go to sleep at night, and um, you know we sleep for you know eight hours, right? Mm-hmm. During the day, could we hold our bladder for eight hours? Oh God, no. No, no we couldn't. So the bladder, uh, the, our body has a special hormone that gets produced, and it's produced, it's called the antidiuretic hormone. And when you go to sleep, the, this hormone after going to sleep, it gets, it gets secreted. And what it does is it slows down the kidney function. So the kidneys stop producing urine while you sleep. So you can get through the night without having to get up and go. And these children, they are not producing this hormone. So their bodies are producing just as much urine at night as they are during the day. So yes, they have to let it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they do. Because if they didn't, that urine would stay in the kidney and cause kidney failure over time. So we are always, always am happy it came out. Um, and let's figure out how we can deal with that. So that is one cause of bedwetting. 
the treatment for that um, would be to um, give the child uh, desmopressin is one option, which is a synthetic antidiuretic hormone. And it's usually given just to see if it works. And it confirms the diagnosis that it is a cause that's a genetic cause, meaning that we don't have the production of the hormone. And it's also given so the child is able then to safely, comfortably feel like I can go for a sleepover at a friend's house, okay. or I can go to Disneyland for, for you know, spring break. Um, we all wish we can, right? Especially we'll all go back to Disneyland. And, uh, but I can take a vacation and feel safe. I'm not going to wet the bed somewhere else. So that's the primary function of that medication. And it's very helpful for parents to know that it's a possibility. And then bedwetting alarms is the next, really the first thing we'll, that would be done. Uh, and along with the desmopressin as needed, and then a bedwetting alarm. And alarms work pretty well. They, um, they're still the number one choice. And that's just because they don't know enough about what we do as therapists. <laughs> they come um, to us after the alarms don't work. Yeah, yeah. It's just... Um, they have anywhere, they have about a 90%, 80 to 90% success rate, but a 50% relapse rate. Mm. So the overall, overall success rate is kind of low then. And, uh, and I, my population is skewed because 100% of the people that see me, see me after they failed alarms. Yeah. So, I, you know, 100% of the patients I see have failed alarms. That doesn't mean others have not. So that being said, we look at why are the kids failing the alarm? And how does the alarm work? And if, it, if they're failing the alarm, it could be another reason for their constipation. And the probably the number one cause of, of I meant to say bedwetting, the number one cause of bedwetting is, bed, is, is constipation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And constipation really starts with potty training. Mm -hmm. And we need to go back to potty training and withholding behaviors and, uh, and really, look at where does this constipation begin once as parents once they're potty trained and we stop wiping their bottoms we don't know how often they go right i went you know but we don't know if their stool consistency was a large diameter mm -hmm. we don't know if they were straining to go uh, and we want their their poop to look like a ripe banana and it should be easy to pass and we like kids going every day um, if you're bedwetters. I know the research will say three, three times a week is within normal limits. Kids that are bedwetting, I never say that. Um, but kids that are bedwetting, I want them going every day, uh, normal without straining. So uh, constipation is a, is a very large component of this problem. And, and I would say 70 to 80% of the kids I see that are bedwetters are um, treated and resolved, bedwetting resolved with res resolution of constipation. Yes, and I think that's something that is so important that you bring up, you know, how to resolve constipation because a lot of times parents are given, um, you know, some direction with their primary care providers like the pediatrician and they're given Miralax, um, you know, and that's it. You know, I've yet to find the local, um, you know, pediatrician or GI who really offers anything else uh, besides that. Maybe they'll offer some Ducalax, which usually ends up giving a child a tummy ache um, okay. because of the stimulatory effect. Um, you know, so in terms of having a child really clean out the constipation, maybe we can clarify for listeners, does that mean just clearing out the poop that is stuck in there and then that's it? It's a one-time deal or what needs to happen after that? 
So the research, I, you know, as, a, as an instructor, I always have to know the research. And research tells us that a, you know, once we get a child cleaned out and get their poop out of there, that um, maintenance is only effective after a clean out, first of all. So you should clean it out first. And, uh, and we usually like a top-down, bottom-up approach, meaning um, some, sometimes using enemas and maybe Miralax. And if parents are not comfortable with Miralax, magnesium, there's other options. So it's not just Miralax. And just kind of you know getting the whole colon, not just the rectum empty. So the, an enema cleans out the rectum, the other medications kind of clean out the rest of the colon to, cle to keep it um, clean. But men, we have to have maintenance. And this is what I call the constipation carousel. The constipation carousel is kids are, they go to the pediatrician, say I have constipation, my child's constipated. They're having these little tiny skid marks or little fecal poop leaks in their underwear. And that is almost always a sign that they're constipated. And then the doctor says, okay, take a cap full of Miralax. So I always give the example that I've got two kids, they're both seven, they both weigh exactly the same amount. I give them each a cap full of Miralax. One child is going to have four bowel movements a day because of that. The other one's not going to have a bowel movement for four days. So it's the motility of everybody's gut. Everybody has a different gut motility and how these medications work is 100% based on their child's gut. And now, you know, we, we have, you know, functional gastrointestinal disorders. You know, the Rome criteria has changed that name. It is no longer functional gastrointestinal disorders. It is now called disorders of the brain gut. Wow. It's changed because we know everybody's brain and gut respond differently. And we have more neurologic input in the gut that goes to the brain than that from the brain to the gut. So that's, you know, it's, it's a very interesting way we, to, we have to look at every child individually. So looking at these two kids, one kid, I'm going to give a quarter cap of Miralax that's going four times a day. The other one's going to need two caps a day to yeah. go. And so, and whether it be Miralax or something else, I'm just main, kind of getting the idea of titration. You have to titrate to make it happen consistently. If we're not titrating, the parent that's got the one cap a day whose child's going four times a day, if they're going four times a day, they're leaking probably three other times a day. Mm -hmm. And because the stool's too loose, they can't hold it. And if they're leaking that much and they're saying, this Miralax is terrible, I'm not taking it, they stop the medication and then they're fine. There's no more leaks because they're not taking too much Miralax anymore. And three weeks later, the fecal leaks come back. Right. So that's when they're back on, back, I call it the constipation carousel. They're back on, then they're off, and then they're on, and they're off. Because the missing link is that they're not getting titration that works for their gut. And really to find that right titration, I mean, it's just really the parent doing it slowly, um, you know, at home, just adding, you know, Miralax to the mix slowly and just seeing the consistency of the stool, the frequency, because everybody's different, like you said, with finding that right amount. So true. Yeah. So what true. Would you, um, what do you say with, to families when, you know, there's such controversy over using enemas, 
Um, I get a lot of resistance to that from families, from doctors, because the number one thing people are fearful of is, I think, injuring their child and worrying that the child's going to sustain some kind of emotional trauma or physical trauma from using the enemas. But we know that when you do have a rectum full of stool, um, you know, the enema is really, you know, wonderful at helping to empty out that blockage. So what can we offer to listeners who are really reserved when it comes to enemas? And that's fair. I think that's a fair concern. You know, none of us want to give that to our children, right? Um, and sometimes we have to look at the big picture of what the, what the problem is and how it needs to get resolved. Um, for, for kiddos that are really terrified, um, we start with a top-down approach mm -hmm. as best as we, as best we can. And in my clinic, I use ultrasound so I can measure the rectal diameter. And sometimes these kids just aren't, they have to have an enema. And do, do any of us, any one of us want to put an enema in? No. Um, we do need to talk, talk to them about the why. Kids are so smart. They are, I mean, draw pictures for them, explain to them that nothing can come out of here. And why does this keep happening? Kids just want facts. Give them facts, tell them, I mean, the, the, the tube that gets inserted is so tiny, they're not gonna hurt their child physically at all. So there's no concern for parents that they're gonna physically hurt their child when they get like a Pedialax uh, enema, a store-bought Pedialax enema. Uh, that's just, it's just too small. And if they feel better about it, really do a little extra lubrication um, around the area so it slides easily. And, um, and just say, honey, you know, we're gonna do this because we really want this problem to go away. And we talk about why we're doing it. You know, we're not just doing it just to empty your bowel, but what was, this, what was the reason that we got upset about the bowel emptying? Oh, because I was having leaks at school and kids were making fun of me. I think it's also a really good point that you bring up because a lot of times the fecal leakage comes from the constipation. So a lot of times parents confuse. They say, oh, you know, my child has diarrhea or my child is leaking poop. And I said, well, it's not exactly what's happening. You, your child has a large, you know, buildup of stool and there's just soft stool that's coming around it and leaking out, which is different. And, it's, uh, and the other comment I hear all the time is, how come they don't feel it? How do they know it's happening? And I, I hate to use this example, but it seems pretty common for women that wear thong underwear. The first time you put it on, you're like, what is that there, right? <laughs> and then you wear it all the time, you never know it's there. Right. Because you're used to it being there. Yeah. The kids are exactly the same way, exactly the same way. And they, with the stool that comes out is their body temperature. Mm -hmm. So they, it's, not, it's not a different temperature right. and it happens to them every day so they're not they don't notice it and it's a reflex that fails that causes it so it's never their fault right it's a physiologic problem and it's true people say well it's psychological it's psychological and i tell you in 38 years and 27 of those years working with children in this particular diagnosis i have sent i would say in maybe five kids who truly had underlying psychopathology that really needed help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, really I, mean, I see, I see uh, you know, at least a hundred to our clinic sees at least three to 400 kids a year. Yeah. Wow. That's not, you know, that's not a lot. No. It's very small. 
And that's something that I really try to reinforce with parents is just the need for, you know, positive feedback when it comes to, you know, retraining, um, you know, when it comes to the bathroom. There's so many children who, you know, they're punished um, either because they wet their pants, they wet the bed. And I say, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something they're doing on purpose. You know, they can't help it. And, you know, we just need to create some more positive association around, you know, bowel and bladder health. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because my soapbox is the word accident. Yeah. <laughs> and there is, and we tell kids, you know, we ask kids, did you have an accident? Mm-hmm. So Marina, did you have an accident in your pants? How does that feel? Right. But well, I mean, internally it's like, ah, you know, it's like, that's so, that's a horrible thing. I, I did something wrong. And by, by definition, accident is an unforeseen event. And yes, that is what happened. But when we say, did you, then the child immediately emotionally internalizes that behavior mm-hmm. and that I did something wrong. So I, I really encourage everybody I speak to, to say, did your Johnny or, or Sammy, did your bladder have a leak? Not you. Mm-hmm. Did your bladder or did your bowel have a leak? Mm-hmm. And I just also want to just tie in when the bowel is that full, it pushes against the bladder. And, and when that's pushing against the bladder, that's why these kids leak at night. Yes. Because the bladder can't handle that capacity and the bowel is pushing against it and it makes that push, that pressure pushes against the bladder and makes it contract and it makes it empty in the night. Right. And like you and, said, we want the bladder to empty rather than have that urine flow backwards toward the kidney. And Dr. Um, ha- Dr. Steve Hodges, he has a website called bedwettingandaccidents.com. Yes, I love him. Resource. Yeah. He's a great, and he has a, you can sign up for his private Facebook group. Um, he also has a list of providers on his Facebook group that know how to treat this. So if you are a pelvic health provider doing pediatrics, you should sign up for his Facebook or his, his listserv of, of treating therapists. But um, he also has a great blog on how to talk to the doctor about enemas and how to talk to your child about enemas. Yes, and he's really got great resources on his website. He's got am- amazing resources on his website, yeah. and uh, he's lecturing to our um, pediatric pelvic physiotherapy group in two weeks. Yes, I'm very excited uh, for um, for for us and uh, just for us to be able to uh, get the word out to parents and to physicians. And, and so I'll tell you when his program first came out using enemas, it was literally, uh, you know, me trying to tell doctors to give patients enemas. They were, they were like, uh, what are you talking about? Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell my patients. That. And do you know, oh, you know, over the last two years, uh, what I did, what, how I managed it is I tried everything else, did a lot of top-down approaches and really tried clean kids out top-down, top-down, top-down. And, and when I say top-down, I mean like, you know, like a Miralax clean out or extra and extra uh, uh, stool softeners, et cetera. And now it's been out, what, five years now? Our doctors are ordering the MOP program regularly. Oh, that's amazing. So it did, it did take, it took me about two years of conversion. But you got there, you got there. We did get there and um, pediatricians are not all on board, but the the specialists are. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, um, you know, we're running out of time, but before we wrap up, you know, I would just love to add, 
you know, when we're talking about working with children, working with this population, you know, as physical therapists, you know, what we also offer that's different from what maybe other providers do, because um, we have that special knowledge of, you know, the anatomy, the musculoskeletal system. So other than doing the cleanouts and helping parents with titration, you know, what is it that we can offer them from a physiological, you know, musculoskeletal standpoint? We do surface EMG biofeedback, which is putting little tiny stick-on electrodes um, our, our externally. Nothing we do is internal whatsoever. And these little electrodes attach to a computer and the computer has animated space shuttles or spaceships or dolphins and roses and uh, butterflies and hot air balloons, all kinds of animation and depending on the machine you use. And when the child contracts the muscle correctly, the um, animated computer helps them know they're doing it correctly and they can see that they're lifting and letting go. Um, so that's, we really teach them how to use their pelvic floor muscles. Right, and then we also can offer, you know, things to address any postural changes that are needed, overall strengthening, um, you know, core. so that's really the advantage of, yeah, doing the core work, that's really the advantage of having you know, pelvic floor physical therapist um, who specializes in pediatrics work with you. It's so a full on, body approach. It's a full yeah, body approach. Yeah, that's what's yeah. really needed. Um, yeah. Dawn, this was so amazing. And I feel like I need to have you back another time too to do part two. Um, but I'm not <laughs> going to take up any more of your time today. So let's tell all our listeners, um, you know, where they can reach you, um, you know, best contact information, yeah. anything else you want to announce. So I have two free, um, they're called eBooks. One is on constipation, one is on bedwetting, and it gives you all the basics. I call it the um, bootcamp basic training. And um, if you go to my website at info, or just go to my website at www.kidsbowelbladder.com. So it's kidsbowelbladder.com. And on the website, you'll find a, a, a link where you can click to get these free downloads on just basics of constipation and bedwetting. Um, and in 2021, I'm launching my parent classes. So awesome. I, I have two, uh, it's bedwetting bootcamp and then the constipation carousel bootcamp. And awesome. so there are five modules with a few bonuses of um, classes to teach the parents how they can take care of their own children. Because we have parents that are in systems, health systems that they can't actually access care or we don't know how to get. Uh, or how to find a therapist. So the American Physical Therapy Association has under the section or the Academy of Pelvic Health, they have a place where you can look for, um, find a therapist. And then when you find a therapist, you have to specifically say pediatric pelvic floor. But if you um, go to my website now and just, and the, the email for my website is info at kidsbowelbladder.com. Um, I'm going to, um, I met once I, I have to talk to my web guy and have him upload this, um, listserv that we have on our Facebook group of 2000 therapists. I think we have over a hundred, 150 therapists that have, um, given us information that they treat this so we can help you find somebody and the, and, and G fam, is that right? Marina, the G fam. Yeah, if, you go a, to, if you go to the pelvic guru website, um, there's a worldwide directory there where you can just plug in your zip code and you can look for, you know, a local therapist or a therapist in your state who could even work with you virtually. Right. And okay. I don't mind if people have questions, if they do email the info um, at kids bowel bladder, then I can help direct them to, 
um, I can, you know, we can post it on, um, on, we always try to, you know, find people, somebody, you know, yeah. who call out of state, you know, I said, hold on, let me, let me go see who I can get for you. So we're always good about that. Um, Dawn, thank you so much. This was so amazing. Thank you again so much for being here. Um, this was full of such great information for parents. I'm really excited. Um, that people will get so much more information about bedwetting and conservation and bowel leakage because this is really this is a subject that parents just don't talk about you know especially with you know family and friends um so i feel like they feel kind of isolated um you know at times so having you know a resource like you is just wonderful okay everybody thank you so much for joining in on this episode of pelvic matters and don't forget to tune in next time thanks <laughs>